I'm Anthony Monteith. This is episode 17 of Cup of Chi. And here we're today with the legend, Freya Sherlock, who has dedicated pretty much since the 1980s her life to Chinese medicine of some sort. Mm-hmm. And the story is way too big to fit on this podcast. So we're going to try to condense her story. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been up to in West Cork and what Freya is bringing to Ireland, which is pretty exciting. So Freya, thanks for having me oh. and for bullying me and conjoling me to uh, to come and teach. It's been a pleasure all the way. Yeah, we've had some fun. <laughs> we've had we? some fun. It's yeah. good crack. Some West Cork crack. West Cork crack. So yeah, as you can tell, we're definitely not Irish. No. But we're kind of adopted Irish at this stage. Mm-hmm. And you four kids who are Irish. Mm-hmm. Or two kids who are Irish, so mm-hmm. we've, we're trying to repopulate Ireland and uh, <laughs> and uh, help sort of absolve all that Cromwellian dysfunction that we created. Mm-hmm. But um, so, yeah, Freya, mm-hmm. where did it begin? Where did your journey begin? Gosh, so really, it began back in 1985 mm-hmm. when I was a 16-year-old living in India and got pretty sick with what was suspected meningitis. Wow. Um, ended up in a, in, a, in a hospital in the Tibetan refugee village up in Dharamsala, where the Dalai Lama and all the Tibetan refugees are living, and was seen by an Australian doctor who did all the lump punctures and all that kind of crack, signed me off as just needing a lot of convalescence and care, put me in the hospital wing where I was tended for several weeks by the most beautiful Tibetan nun. Hmm. And she would come into me three times a day, mm. and I was the only um, patient in the ward at the time. Very simple ward, stone mm. floors, walls, pristine white sheets on the bed. Mm. And I had a bed next to the window, and I used to just sit there listening to the bumblebees on the rhododendrons, and just that was as much as effort as I could make. I was so sick, listening to the bugles in the distance, watching just the summer day come and go. And she'd come in three times a day. Obviously, she didn't speak English, and I certainly didn't speak Tibetan. She'd sit down next to me and she would take a little parcel of uh, a ball of medicine that was wrapped up in cloth with a little red string. She'd undo it in this incredibly meditative way, crush the medicine, mix it with some water. And just watching her mm-hmm. was was restorative. Mm-hmm. Her presence, her her just something about her just soul essence, just watching the way she unfolded everything, crushed it, and then she mixed it with water and then she spooned it into me. And I could feel strength returning to me mm. with every spoonful that she fed me. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was partly her presence. It was partly just this amazing place where I was. And then it was the actual medicine. I could just feel this power, like feeling a tide come back in. It was mm. like I could feel vitality return to me. Mm-hmm. So when I came out, uh, it was a good couple of weeks later, I was like, where is this medicine happening? And I went and found at the very far end of the village, the little apothecary. And I would just go and sit in there. And I was mesmerized just watching the hive of activity of this place. Couldn't understand a word. Mm. People coming in, bringing in their children, bringing in their dogs, bringing mm. in whoever. Long counter with a couple of doctors behind it. Mm-hmm. Animated conversation going on, tongue, pulse. And then he'd turn around, grab a load of herbs off the shelves, crush mm. it all, mix it all. And out they go, go with medicine. And I was like just mesmerized. Mm. So anyway, I was there for a year, year, year and a bit, year and a half. Right. And when I came back to the West, I was 17 and a half. And I was like, right, I want to learn Tibetan medicine. Where okay. do I start? Uh, and of course, there was nowhere to learn Tibetan medicine in those days mm. back in that was then sort of 90, uh, 80, 80, 80, 89. Yeah. But I found a Chinese medicine training, a two year diploma in Chinese medicine. So at 19, I went off and did that for two years, which was very fortunate because I had a brain in those days. Right. So I laid down some <laughs> great foundation while I had young neoplasticity <laughs> to rely on. No, no. And uh, that really, I just lived for that training. I was having quite a lot of difficulties in my personal life at the time. Mm. And every month I went for a weekend of training and it was like drinking elixir into my heart right. and soul. Right. And every weekend I just came back feeling so inspired and like, this is incredible. Didn't understand it necessarily, but it felt like it was nourishing an essence that hadn't been touched by anything before. Right. It was okay. like 
it was reaching the parts of me that nothing else had ever touched. And that was it. I was sold. But then, of course, you know, life takes over. I actually conceived my first child two weeks before my final exams. Hmm. So okay. as I finished that, I then started a era of raising children, four kids, 15 odd years later, set up a Steiner school, ran a Steiner school for the kids. And then one day that all burnt down, uh, actually burnt down twice. Um, we had a fire and then six weeks later, there was a second fire. And at the end of that, I kind of sat back and I went, right, well, I'm not doing that anymore. Mm. Yeah, what will I? Message. What will I do with the rest of my life? And I just and I I was actually really burnt out uh, in my own life. So the school was almost burnt out because you were burnt out. Probably it was yeah. on our farm, and I had invested my heart and soul into it because, of course, my kids went through it. It was a community school. All the children in the area were going to it. We had fifty kids on the roll when it the day of fifty five kids. It was on the popular roll. school. It was a really popular school. Really built bridges. Mm. There was as many local kids, blowing kids, as there were uh, local kids. And it was cracking little school, absolute hive of community down there. Mm. It was beautiful. Um, but we had a busy little arsonist in the area, and he went around destroying all sorts of things, and our place was one of the casualties. So uh, I was so kind of like just just wrung out, four kids mm. and all of this for so many years. I'm yeah. running a 60-acre, well, at that point, an 80-acre organic farm, and I was just wrung out and my mother bless her got me uh, an acupuncture treatment when I went over to visit her at one point with the kids and I laid out on this acupuncture treatment and and as he was putting needles in I was like "Hmm, that's spleen three Hmm. oh that's stomach 36 Hmm. all right well could I remember these Hmm. and then there was this moment where I thought I'm I'm meant to be where he is Mm. what am I doing on the table I should be doing what he's doing mm. and it was in that moment it was like this is what I need to be doing in my right. life okay I've got to go back and retrain because I didn't it had been so long yeah. I didn't want to rely on my first training I thought yeah. no, I've got to go back and do this properly sure so I went back and signed up for a four-year uh, degree level course in Cork went through that and that was great foundation but I came out hungry for more mm. i had a super herbs teacher and that mm. lit a fire in me mm. and i was like right i've 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 started but i know i i know there's more that i need to know than i than i have right. learned right and i don't feel like i'm yet equipped to really take be responsible for people's health right so i'm going to keep going so i did start my practice and i was practicing but I then embarked on a five-year master's program. Well, it was a it was a postgrad in, in herbs with a master's attached. So I then um, went through the two-year postgrad part, which was great. That was over in New York, and then we came to the dissertation. And coming to the dissertation subject, I was like, all the kind of topics that people were doing were very evidence-based. There was what? a real push towards evidence-based acupuncture at the time. What sort of era time frame would this? So be? this would be like twenty sixteen, right? thereabouts mm-hmm. 2014 2015 2016 right. that kind of thing um and and there was a real uh renaissance at the time around let's let's kind of rub shoulders with science mm. let's really evidence acupuncture and and herbs yeah. it's got to be scientific it's got to have rigor it's mm. got to have this it's got to have that yeah and i just felt increasingly uncomfortable that Chinese medicine was having to fit like a square peg in a round hole. Mm. And I didn't like that we were having to dance to the tune of science and and compromise and sacrifice and actually betray the principles of Chinese medicine in the process. And it felt like an act of betrayal. So I I, I literally spent about three months even trying to come up with a topic for my dissertation. It's like, shall I look at Gyne? Shall I look at this? Shall I look at the other? Reading tons of papers. And it all just left me cold. Right. I don't, my heart wasn't in it. Right. So I really had to sit down and have a good talk to myself. I was like, okay, you know, the program has to serve me, not me serve the program. Right. You know, this, I'm doing this because I want to deepen my knowledge. What is it I actually want to learn? And I thought, you know, what I really actually want to learn is, is more about the classical approach to Chinese medicine. I've never had that before. I'd only right. ever had a TCM training. Yeah. But I knew that it was, it was skin deep compared to the depth that I was yeah. hungry for. Yeah. So I thought, okay, is there some way of making an opportunity out of this dissertation and f- and use it to 
to explore that, for me, uncharted territory. Right. And what was your dissertation about? So very foolishly, I took on something far too big for me. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like you. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I know nothing about Jing, Jing Feng. I know nothing about Dr. Feng Shulung's tradition, but I've mm. heard good things about it. Right. So I'm going to take the opportunity of finding out about mm. Jing Feng from the Feng Shulung tradition mm. and use that for my, my thesis. Is it based on the Hon Yuan theory? Well, it's based on six confirmations. Oh, okay. It's the Shan Han Lung. It's the yeah. Shan. It's, okay. But you know, the Shan Han Lung has lots of lineages within it. Okay. There's so many. There's probably I think there's like twenty six different lineages that all come from the Shan Han Lung. Right. But Doctor Feng Shulung, whose own teacher was Doctor Hu Shi Shu, mm. is one particular lineage. But right. I just liked everything I'd heard about it, and right. I, what I particularly liked was the clinical efficacy of it. Right. It's a big monster of a system. It's though. a monster of a system. Mm, I've seen it in action. Yeah. Yeah. So off I went to China during what was probably the most traumatic summer of my life personally. I was literally on a personal level in pieces. Um, went off to, off to Beijing and spent all day every day with, with uh, Dr. Suzanne Rubidoux, who was, who was the translator for Dr. Feng Shulung at the time. Mm. And I studied and trained like crazy with her during the day and then went home and fell apart in my personal life in the evenings. Oh, no. <laughs> Sobbed my way around the streets oh, of Beijing, shit. parked my personal life, came back into class in the morning, carried on with Jing Feng. And basically we rotated around five different hospitals each week. So Mondays in one place, Tuesdays in another. We would we would uh, just observe Dr. Feng Shulung in clinic in the mornings. And then we'd go back to with Dr. Robido in the afternoons and analyze and unpack in English, what had happened in the mornings. And of course, I, I knew nothing about Jing Feng before I went out there. It was literally right over my head. Yeah, deep. Didn't understand a dicky bird, but I was fascinated. Um, and from that, I then tried to do a correlation of, you know, what are the TCM principles to herbalism? Mm. What are the Jing Feng principles? And if you were to take a hypothetical patient and analyze them through the lens of TCM and then analyze them through the lens of Jing Feng, where would you get to and where would the point of convergence or divergence be? Mm. And I did a what's called a bricolage uh, approach to the analysis, which actually ended up being a complete head rig. But it got me hooked into Jing Feng. Okay. And it opened my eyes to, it was like, I kind of felt like with Chinese medicine, my experience is that you, it's like you're in the most vast, cavernous, like like Hogwarts Castle. Right. You're yeah. in Hogwarts and you go up one of the spiral staircases and you come into a chamber and you're in the chamber and it's awesome and magnificent and incredible. Mm. And you might spend a few years there and you just think, wow, this is incredible. This mm. is Chinese medicine. I mm. love it. And then you come out and you notice there's a great big long corridor and you go down and you open another door and you there's now a vast room that you never even knew existed. Mm. Mm. And you take a peek and you think, holy bloody moly. Yeah. Really? Well, you I did. thought that was Chinese yeah. medicine, but this is Chinese medicine. And then you look mm. down the corridor and it's like a gazillion more doors and you just realize, you know mm. what? I know this much. I, I did a calculation four, four or five years ago with my uh, from a couple of my friends and I said I need to live to 547 years to actually learn just mm -hmm. basics what I, well no just what I want to learn not mm -hmm. even everything mm. you know so <clears throat> I am you know 500 years short of that mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, yeah it's quite and I think this is the thing with TCM it, it's really it's chopped down to to some rudimentary yeah syndrome approach yeah. with some extremely skilled yeah doctors who can needle and do amazing things with moxa yeah. but it is a paracetamol approach to mm. uh, to chinese medicine and i have i always in my own clinic have this i don't ever want chinese medicine to be mainstream mm. that's my argument mm. because to make mm. it mainstream will destroy mm. its uh, its essence mm. I'd rather, I mean, and to this day, I'd rather be like this, like the mm. barefoot doctors that we are mm. operating in the community and teaching and helping people because mm. there's, we'll always survive that way. Mm. Now, we may never reach the 
the pinnacles that we sometimes dream it could be. Mm. I do think COVID has allowed us to show how powerful. Mm-hmm. I know my herbalist teacher, mm. Dr. Guo, he treated 500,000 people with COVID-1 wow. back in 2003 and won a patent award for one of his quantum formulas that he calls. Mm, fantastic. It's a herbalist who merged quantum theory with mm. herbalism. Wow. So he took TCM, mm. and then his thing is treat the excess, mm. and then he's a Qigong master, so all mm. his herbs treat the passage of qi through the body in certain pathways, mm-hmm. namely a circular pathway that runs up the body and down the spine in the mm-hmm. opposite direction to the microcosmic mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and then these circular circulations called Chichuan. and mm-hmm. so it's very interesting that he treats the tongue like the planet Oops. so the planet being you know 70 percent water mm. and he looks for the excessives and mm. then he moves the excessives okay. and he finds exit points to allow that excess to Beautiful. super 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 I'll, I'll send you a video mm. you can watch him in action mm. Super effective for very difficult cancers, mm. actually, like pancreatic cancer. Um, not that we're allowed, to, we're not allowed to say that we treat no. cancer, are we? In this Absolutely. country, God love us. No, uh, so we help people who maybe, uh, adjunct, that, adjunct therapy, adjunct therapy. Yeah. Yes, uh, we are supporting the person. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so Jing Fang, huge. Yeah, it's a Hogwarts for sure. I've looked at it. I've seen the intake mm. sheets. Mm. I've never met Suzanne Robbie. Do I do remember her being in Maynooth a few mm. years ago? One of my students went to study with her, her needling style. And I think she had a Batsa. Uh, she's well. quite a terrifying woman to to train with because she, she's bam, 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 she bam, has bam, a bam. racehorse brain. Yeah. I mean, it's intimidating to try and keep up with. Um, you know, I, I literally, you know, she, her, her words are going ahead and I can hear she's speaking, but trying to comprehend everything yeah. she's saying at the pace she's saying it is just like, whoop, right. Over yeah. Back. She's trying to condense a lot of work into two or three days. She's trainings. phenomenal. Yeah. I know she was involved. I remember a long time ago, Bagua. Yeah. Maybe. Bagua, Bagua. Mm. Um, She does Sha uh, Chen Chu, which is a form of I Ching. Hmm. But it's quite interesting. It's not quite Yijing. It's a different, it's, right. it's more of a, a kind of a Kronos approach to, to Yijing. Right. Um, she teaches, I mean, she, te- she teaches Moxa, she teaches yeah. what she calls Yuan Chi acupuncture, which I think is a, bit, a little bit like the five element acupuncture we were talking about, where you've got zones, five element zones around the body. Yeah, I, I think it's quite aggressive, though, isn't it? And it's quite mm. strong, is it? Strong it is quite strong. Mm. Yeah, it's a whole pain relief methodology. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then right now she's she's rescuing dogs in China okay, for a living. As you do. Yeah. Right. So after the Jing Feng, then you came back from China. Came back from China, waded through the dissertation for a couple for a couple of years, trying to fit it in with raising children and all the rest. Um, and then really, you know, have just kind of got on with running a clinic, raising my kids, and just training with Suzanne right. ongoingly. I like, I'm always training with her. Right. Um, and then Negong is another really important. Plan How did life. you come into Negong? Why did you discover that? Um, I mean, I guess I always had a love of Qigong. Hadn't had a lot of exposure, but had, had trained wherever I had an opportunity. Mm. And then. A For those really... listening who don't know what Qigong is, just to, it's a body-mind practice with movement, breath, postures, meditative practices, and then there is a branch which is called Neigong, which has is a more uh, working internally. So if you wanted to think of Qigong as moving the outside of the body to move physically internally, and then Neigong is being able to mobilize your internal energy to manifest it externally for whatever reason, mm-hmm. whether it's for healing or repairing tissue or yeah. martial applications or just strengthening the function of the body as a whole. Yeah. So it's one's outside in, one's inside out. Yeah, as a exactly. Yeah. So then a really old family friend, like, you know, she's been part of our family, almost like a sister for decades, uh, started training with Dema Mitchell. Mm. And she said to me years ago, like, Frey, you should really come and train with him. Like, right. Get on it. He's, mm-hmm. he's you know, really good. Mm. 
so I emailed him at the time. This is probably back in, I don't know, 2012 or thereabouts. Shouts out to Sam Tyson. Yeah. Sammy boy. Um, and he sweetly replied to me at that point. They were setting up a training school in Sweden. Mm. And he was like, yeah, come over and join in. But I had four small children or fairly small. I couldn't just up and go for three weeks or mm. four weeks of the summer. So I had him on my radar, but I just couldn't ever get away until uh, until 2015. And the summer of 2015, I went over to Sweden and mm. spent three weeks. Um, but it was the first time in my life, first of all, I had had that level of intense mm. training, mm. physically and in terms of internal energetics. Mm. And it was, a, it was a Tai Chi intensive. Never done a, never done a stitch of Tai Chi in my mm. life. Never done a stitch of internal work mm. or negong in my life mm. and never done a stitch of the level of fitness that was required. Mm. And I remember crawling out of the hall <laughs> at the end of each yeah. session and mm. literally collapsing on the grass yeah. and inhabiting my body as painful as it was throughout <laughs> those three weeks. And then we were sleeping in these like really rustic oh, bell yeah. tents. I remember telling me the story. It was, it was like slug city. You yeah. step outside at night to yeah. go and pee and you couldn't find anywhere in the grass that didn't have slugs. You just wow. had to sort of tiptoe around all the slugs. It was yeah, like hardcore. But again, I just, as, as, as challenging and arduous as it was, mm. it was like I'd found a reservoir of champagne. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just like, oh my God, mm. what have I been missing? Yeah. And so I then just took every opportunity to train with Damo there after I then did a three-year yeah. training with him in sort of rudimentary acupuncture, which was kind of bonkers, really, because it was literally a repeat of the syllabus I'd had right. in my formative education. Right. There wasn't a lot of new information, mm. but it was at a, it was just adding another whole layer of richness. Okay. You know, Damo just brings immense richness to everything. Right. And then I did sort of Qigong training with him for a couple of years in London, back and forth, back and forth. I, I mean, at one yeah. point, because I was doing both those courses simultaneously. So I was kind of over twice a month, one for right. the Chinese medicine, one for the Qigong. Yeah. That went on for nearly three so years. you pretty much lived your 20s and your 30s and 40s, pretty much. 20s, not so much, because my 20s was kids. Right. Raising the kids, running the school. Okay. And then early 30s. 40s yeah. mid mid 30s all my 40s and uh, yeah an unspecified age yes um later i'm still at it <laughs> yes at, at 38 um so yeah look uh so now we're here in your farmhouse yeah and we've been teaching tweener yeah we've been doing this is the second weekend 10 students all bright all bushy-tailed mm -hmm. all eager to learn mm -hmm. And it's been a real, it's actually been a lifesaver for me as well. So mm. thank you, because mm. I've pretty much given up teaching in mm. terms of face-to-face. -face. Mm. Um, I just had enough of it. But then I made a resolution to, and actually one of the girls pulled a really interesting tarot card. She said, you need to let go, you know, let go mm. of all these restrictive mm. thoughts you have around what you're doing mm. and become more authentic. Mm. And I think I am becoming mm. each as I get closer to my golden year and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to become a little bit more authentic. Mm. Um, and, and so, yeah, so that's been great. And it's, it's uh, going to be interesting to see the personal development that arises for these people, mm. not just the skills that they learn. And Twina for me has the biggest physical therapy system in the world ever, mm. the most tried and tested ever. Um, there is actually reams and reams and reams and reams of medical information probably stashed away somewhere in all the hospitals just never released. Mm -hmm. But there we go. Mm -hmm. And we do what we can with what what we have. Mm -hmm. um, so we've been trying that. So we've got now 10 people ready to work with it in the next few months and get mm -hmm. it out there. And then we're probably going to continue for the rest of the year doing something mm -hmm. between that and maybe other things, other projects, yeah. perhaps, yeah. maybe a retreat, yeah. maybe also we get some guest lecturers to come over. We've got a growing list of really inspiring people we'd okay. like to collaborate with. Okay. Yeah. Also, because I came across this word a couple of years ago during COVID, the beginning of it, and this Mind Valley. Mm. crowd appeared on the scene and mm. a lot of my 
closest friends and colleagues logged onto it and mm-hmm. were using it as a resource for learning. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned the word wild fit. And yes. I thought, I have heard of it. Mm-hmm. And then I had this image of people running through the woods with kettlebells and then spears and, yeah. you know, barefoot <laughs> running. And it's like wild fit. <laughs> I didn't realize it was actually a dietary <laughs> and nutritional, nutritional program. program. Mm. Actually, I just found out, I think it was two, three days ago, one of uh, Federico, if you're watching, Federico Black, one of my Qigong, Qigong students over in Geneva, his brother did the wild fit. Mm, and okay. he told me, yeah, I know that. My brother did it. He loved yeah, it. Yeah. So you want to explain, you're the only wild fit instructor that's active in Ireland, yes. I believe. Yeah, so exactly. What is it? So WildFit is basically, uh, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle, and um, it really helps to recalibrate your whole relationship to food and nutrition. Um, It works with your psychology around food, it works with your behavior patterns and habits around food, unpacks that in a way that, that loosens the grip of those kind of mental and emotional patterns that you have with food. It disarms the food industry's, uh, you know, grip of you as a person mm-hmm. and helps you to realize how we are really all cash cows for the food industry to our own detriment and sheds light on the ways in which the, the, the food industry coerces us towards food choices that are really harmful for us. And over the course of 90 days, it will slowly but surely uh, take you through step by step through a detox process. Uh, through a uh, sort of taking a holiday it's what's called taking a holiday from certain foods so it's not like it's a forever thing so your your kind of inner rebel doesn't have to freak out completely mm. it's not like you're saying goodbye to your favorite foods forever but we're yeah. just going to take a holiday from these foods give your body a break and get you give you the opportunity to experience premium vitality mm. for long enough mm that it really embeds that experience into you physiologically, into mm. a body-held memory, mm-hmm. so that when you come out the other side of WildFit, you can't forget that. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can't forget mm. how good it feels to not have sugar coursing through your veins. Mm. You mm. can't forget how good it feels to wake up with that just premium yeah. energy driving you each day. It's not like you have to find your energy. It's just there, yeah. like a wellspring bubbling up inside mm-hmm. you. Mm. Um, so it's based really on the ideas of anthropological nutrition. In other words, what do we as human beings need, not what we've been cultured to need, not what we've been kind of coerced to need, but we as a species, if you were to look at human beings as a species, much like, you know, tigers, what does mm. a tiger need? Mm. That's very different to what an elephant needs, which yeah. is very different to what a badger needs. What do human beings need biologically and nutritionally? And how have we, what's our hard wiring in terms of nutrition? So if we take, you know, our kind of ancient selves and the ways in which we lived seasonally and our bodies still understands that, that's the instruction manual that our body understands. So certain foods trigger in us the sense that, okay, we're in autumn. So if autumn, if we're in autumn, because we're eating a lot of carbohydrate rich foods, a lot of sugary foods, that means that winter's coming. So we better lay down some fat stores because we've got tough times ahead of us. Mm. So we're going to pack it away, lay down the fat stores, keep hold of it Mm. because we've got a few months to survive. Um, But the problem is that we eat like we're in autumn all year round now. Everything we eat is triggering autumn. So our bodies are continuously answering to the signal save fat lay down fat we've got tough times mm. ahead yeah but what wildfit will do is is take you through all of the seasons through the 90 day program so that you learn how to drive the metabolism of your body by giving nutritional instructions to your body so your mm. body understands what autumn is by the foods that you eat it also understands what spring is mm. so spring so basically winter would be in in ancient times, a time of lean eating, if eating at all, or you know you were scavenging around for the scraps. So it was basically mm. a fast. Right. That was your not that you not that you do fast on the WildFit program. Mm. It is an option at one point, but you don't have to. But that's what your body understands. Winter is is yeah. fasting. Yeah. And then comes spring, 
and you have the absolute flush of green vegetation and, of course, good hunting. Mm. You've got all the protein and you've got all the leafy greens. And yeah. You take your body into spring, into what we call deep spring right. in, in WildFit. And in deep spring, the body yeah. understands, okay, winter's over. We've survived. Mm. Hallelujah. Yeah. Don't need the fat stores anymore. Yeah. Let's switch to fat burning mode. Yeah. Draws on all those fat stores for its fuel. We remove everything that could possibly trigger sugar metabolism. Yeah. Get you into fat burning. And the idea is really that even if you were stick thin and didn't need to lose any weight, the problem with the modern diet is that it is so full of chemical residues and plastic residues and all these sorts of unhelpful agents mm. that our body just continually is firefighting to cope with. But in order to protect the vital organs, buries it in the food, in the fat stores to try and, you know, park it somewhere. Mm. So at least even if you were stick thin, get your fat stores off once a year, mm. just remove it, get yeah. rid of those toxins and they'll lay down fresh fat stores because we need fat stores. We need visceral fat, mm. but we need the right fat and it needs to be good fat. Mm -hmm. So go recycle your fat each year. Mm -hmm. And for those of us, and let's face it in Ireland, that's about 47% of us mm -hmm. that are carrying excess stores that we don't need. And that's yeah. a burden on the body. You know, yeah. the heart system has to cope with it. The circulation system has to yeah. cope with it. Like all the organ systems have to cope with it. We're carrying heavier weight around. That's tiring. It's slowing down our minds. It's slowing sure. down our bodies. We don't need it. Yeah. So take the opportunity to actually shed some of those unnecessary pounds and deep spring will do that for yeah. you. Yeah. So through the course of a 90 day program, you're unpacking your emotional relationship to food, your psychological relationship to food, your addictions, really coming, you know, loosening the grip of those addictions now. Mm. And it's different. You know, some people really struggle with that. Sure, sure. And may come out of the program not ever having completely broken up their relationship with sugar, but it will have loosened. Yeah. It yeah. won't have quite the same If power. anything, there's a deeper understanding of what you're doing to yourself. Yeah. I mean, I did the ketogenic a few years ago. I can send you pictures and mm. I don't recognize myself. Mm. You know, even people said I look so much younger and mm. skin was healthy and more radiant. Mm. I think this is ridiculous. Mm. I'm eating like fat, like so mm. much fat mm -hmm. and meat. And I mean, mm -hmm. all the steaks that I like, healthy mm. steaks. Mm. My wife's looking at me like, this cannot be healthy. Mm. But I looked healthy and I had more energy. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think that this food pyramid that we look mm -hmm. at is should be in reverse. It should. Know? And this is what a lot of the program does is it debunks the myths mm. that are being peddled by the food industry. Mm. Like, for instance, fat is bad for you. Um, you know, in actual fact, it's, you know, the sugar industry yeah. lays the blame at fat but it's not necessarily the nutritional fats that's the problem. Yeah. We need a certain amount of those nutritional fats. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember watching this documentary about a, a New Zealand couple who uh, she was from, I think, the Netherlands, mm -hmm. and he was New Zealand, and they decided to live off grid for like 15 years, something like mental, in the middle mm -hmm. of the Coromandel in, in the north part of New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And they became like vegans mm -hmm. and they lived in the forest and they camped and, mm -hmm. and, uh, they, the, the climate started to change and get a lot colder in, mm -hmm. in the winter time. And they, they were struggling and, and mm -hmm. he decided to go hunting and she, she actually, she was younger than him and fitter than him. So she took up the bow and arrow and even though she's vegan, she started to hunt for wild boar. Mm -hmm. And as soon as she started eating again, the fat of mm. the wild boar, not like a farmed mm. animal, mm. she said they could lie in the tent at night and mm. she could feel the heat. Mm. She could feel her body generating heat mm -hmm. because, mm -hmm. you know, the calorific burn, mm -hmm. her metabolism was working so efficiently from being outdoors, being exposed to cold, damp mm -hmm. weather, mm -hmm. to having to move all the time, mm -hmm. that as soon as it was giving a high calorific food, it was using it immediately to generate heat. Yeah. She said, I could fall asleep at night and sleep. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, so for me, that the ketogenic was an interesting, really interesting uh, thing, mm -hmm. and but it did highlight to me how addicted sugar is, how addictive mm -hmm. it is. And like, how it's in everything. Literally everything. You go along in the, the food shelves and then examine what's actually in your food basket and hidden and disguised and under all sorts of names in the ingredients list will be sugar of yeah. some sort. Yeah. So basically the, the pancreas is having a repetitive strain injury. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's just working too hard, too constantly without a break yeah. for years. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, I, I, my, one of my favorite scenes in the film is, there's a scene in Dances with Wolves yeah. where he's showing them coffee mm. and they're like, oh yeah. Okay. And then he, they take the sugar and it's like, well, isn't it? It's like, you know, mm. and that you can see the joy. Mm. It's mm-hmm. like this instant joy when mm-hmm. sugar hits them. Mm-hmm. And it's that idea of that calorific mm-hmm. sweetness. That's that idea of mm-hmm. the harvest, you know, having yeah. the, the fruits. Absolutely. I mean, I'm <laughs> seeing in the States now a movement towards just meat and fruit. Mm-hmm. So there's all these athletes now that are not even having greens. Mm-hmm. They're not even having veg. Mm-hmm. They're saying, I'm going for the meat because mm-hmm. that's the highest Mm-hmm. quantity of mm-hmm. of high quality calories mm-hmm. and nutrition because the animals processed it for me exactly and i'm eating the fat and yeah. the bone and yeah. the marrow yeah. and then i'm taking the fruit because mm-hmm. nature is saying if you take me and eat me mm-hmm. i'm going to give you a high level of of antioxidants mm-hmm. and and an, an instant energy boost so mm-hmm. you can lay down a certain amount of fat uh, in reward, I get to proliferate my species mm-hmm. if you eat me and poo out the stones. Mm-hmm. And there's a, this kind of movement. Mm-hmm. Now, again, it's an extreme. The problem approach. with that is that, you know, ancestrally, nature imposed a limited access to fruit. So, yeah, we had an abundance of fruit a couple of times a year. Mm. We didn't have access to it all year oh, round. Yeah. So, again, your pancreas got a rest. And the reason we have such uh, such an addictive love of, of sugar really is because, again, ancestrally, we'd have been out hunting, we'd have been out gathering, maybe only a handful of times a year did mm. we ever find a honey store. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But when you found a honey store, oh, yeah. oh my God, you devoured every little bit of yeah. that honeycomb you could. And your body was able to cope with it. Yeah, and then you move on, and you might not have honey again for weeks mm. or months. So there is that, you know, that there is that in our in our ancestral memory, mm. an absolute need to to have as much honey when you find it, because mm. it could be months before you find it yeah. again. But we now apply that to the chocolate bar shelves on the, on, mm. on the shop. And floor. salt is equally as like I remember watching mm. this uh, documentary where the guy said, you know, Coca Cola tastes sweet, but go and look how much salt is in it. Mm. You know. Mm. It is salt in Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, really? Yep, you just can't taste it. No. Um, and the other thing then, so so moving forward, you're the only welfare instructor. You have a mm-hmm. group of people that you take and into, you do an intake for 13 weeks program and you coach yep. them through the 13 weeks. Yeah. And then they can make a decision to follow that lifestyle or come back and repeat if they want yeah. to. Yeah. yeah. You can do a you can do a return to spring, which right. is kind of a condensed version of that okay. once you've been through it once. Through, right. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna set out a challenge to all my friends, my clients that are in Dublin, the people that come to me at the Jade Clinic. We're gonna offer uh internships with online with mm-hmm. Freya coming up. We're not sure of the dates yet. We'll we'll, we'll finalize that, but I'll give you a link to her bio in the description on the podcast in the youtube video mm-hmm. and then we can start to grow this this way of eating because a lot of my clients i don't know what to do mm-hmm. and i'm like well i can give you a program but i know you won't follow mm-hmm. it so you need to be held accountable and you need to be prepared to be held accountable to it exactly. um and so if you can have someone that's just guiding you and kicking your butt a little bit into mm-hmm. shape and i think i might even do this challenge and just film it so you can see the transformation that occurs mm-hmm. for me. Um, I'm up for it. And if anybody who students are watching are up for it, let me know. We can, we can give it a lash. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure my wife is going to be so hilarious watching me suffer when I'm really want a glass of whiskey and a pizza or yeah, something. And half a, ba- half a packet of biscuits. Half a packet yeah. of biscuits. Yeah. yeah. Actually I've got better with that to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, my wife's been doing this uh, program where she 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 cuts out gluten, mm-hmm. uh, reduces the sugar, no dairy mm-hmm. for like ten days, mm-hmm. and then she goes more into healthy eating for twenty days. Mm-hmm. So it's a similar diet. Mm-hmm. It's like an eighty twenty rule, and then she goes again for ten days. Yeah. I'm not really sure. I've seen her do other programs, mm-hmm. and I think get better results. But I think as you age. You've got to work that bit harder. harder. Yeah. So we'll see. But she's so determined at mm. it. Um, so 
Yeah, and we were saying as well that it is possible to do it as a vegetarian. It may be a little bit more difficult to do as a vegan because there are certain nutritional deficiencies that occur on veganism. Yeah, I mean, you know, because really the idea is that the human diet is actually omnivorous. You know, we've got the teeth from omnivorous diet. I have the big canines. Yeah, Mm. so, you know, it does favour omnivores and it's definitely a lot easier for omnivores um and you can do like a basic deep spring version and then when you get a little bit braver you could actually go in the future and do hunter spring which is much more hardcore Mm. around the animal protein but while fit is developing what's called gatherer's spring which is this which is more the vegan vegetarian option um and it's you know it, it it's a way to try and help vegans and vegetarians have as much of the benefit of a wild fit approach, but without necessarily having to yeah. abandon their vegan or vegetarian. Have you tried any of the cashew cheese? A lot of my friends are eating this cashew-based right. cheese. It's supposed to be phenomenal. Right. Um, there is a company, I can't remember. I'll see if I can dig up the name, but they have a friend of mine, George, in Canada. Shout out to George. Mm-hmm. He did a DNA test, and it came back that it matched his ancestry, which he knew already was Mediterranean mm. with some Scottish blood and whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, the, he, he, he basically after like 47 pages said, you know, you, you'd be better off in a pescatarian style mm. diet. Mm-hmm. And so he actually went plant-based for quite a bit. He lost mm. a, a good bit of weight, which mm-hmm. he wanted to, mm-hmm. and he'd had heart issues, which he was trying mm. to resolve and inflammatory mm. issues. Mm. But it's so interesting with him when he works really hard as a builder and a mm-hmm. fabricator and he's not getting enough sleep or enough mm-hmm. rest, the inflammation. So it's not just about diet. It's mm-hmm. stripping away the stimulants, yes. improving your sleep, absolutely, your mobility. Absolutely. Shout out to John Kemp yeah. as well. He's big into all of that. Yeah, uh, He chooses to live on the island of Maui for that reason. Mm-hmm. So his constant access to healthy food, fantastic. sunlight, and you know he has the freedom and this is it you know if you if you eat well you get good oxygen and good air good sunlight good rest and exercise like you've covered Mm. 90% of the bases for for healthy life yeah it's just that modern life doesn't support us to do that no so it's about reclaiming our it's about re-empowering ourselves really to, to return to being fully human yes and not not just being coerced into being part of someone else's profit line yeah and this is the thing after covid Mm. a lot of people did not want to go back to the office Mm. because that one hour lunch break was spent Mm -hmm. walking Mm -hmm. around in the fresh air Mm -hmm. and not commuting for an hour and a half in the morning and you know spending time quality time in the evening with your family baking my wife did so much baking i have the pictures to prove it like and videos of me and my daughter doing qigong in the back garden when Gorgeous. we lived you know so yeah, things that we wouldn't get chance yeah. to do normally no and um, somehow we've been we're, we're mesmerized by the myth that we are told is the is the normal way to mm. live in modern life and it's not mm. you know i had a vision years ago when we were in canada somebody one of one of the girls tiara owen she came up to me and said, what is your vision for the future? And I said, my vision, ideally, if you were to ask me, was to set up a community mm. uh, where people could come in and it's a village and you come to heal. Mm-hmm. And it'd be somewhere in northern Spain. And that was the original dream. And it would be all eco-friendly built, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, whoa, that vision's huge. And it's like, you've got to have that vision. Now, maybe that vision has changed. Mm. I think it probably has a little bit. But do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that's... I mean, you know, people want to get into technology and they want to go up in the sky and put satellites Mm. and speed up things. I get all that, but wouldn't it be nice just to go? Yeah. I mean, the idea I'm really playing around with at the moment is, is, is like the process of rewilding ourselves. You know, it's, it's about somehow, and there's something, and I'm really exploring what does it mean to rewild ourselves? But that for me anyway, it's been a real journey of, coming back to my truth, coming back to liberating myself from concepts of, of you know, how I should live, mm. what modern life should be about, 
taking mm. all the shoulds out of it. Yeah. And we should all over ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and really, I guess it's something to do with empowering. It's something to do with honesty. It's something to do with having the courage to actually be myself. It's, mm. There's a lot of elements to it, but just as a concept of rewilding ourselves as a species feels really pertinent for these mm. times that there's something very we've become very domesticated right and in that we've lost ourselves mm. Mm. yeah i mean i've been in the corporate sector i've worked in those rabbit holes you know mm. 120 calls a day i've done all that i was a debt recovery officer like mm. this kind of crack mm. i've done it but i always had that vision to break out of that and um you know, I do think we are still in the industrial complex. Mm. When I look at my school, it's like 2,000 kids in the mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. The girls went in one end, the boys went in the other. The mm. teachers went in the middle, and it looked like a military mm. school. And, you know, you can see how that is driven at a very early age into people how they need yeah. to be. Um, now, God knows what it'd be like if we were all hippies and hugging trees. I'd say it'd be fucking chaos. Yeah, but it's not, a, it's, not, it's not that you have to become that either. Like, I, mm. I'm a huge advocate of being in the world, but not of it. It's mm. like give wholeheartedly to life mm. and society and serve in whatever way you feel called or whatever is your yeah. calling, but also have the savviness to question and don't betray your humanity. Mm. Mm. And there's, uh, and there's, you know, we're the, there's a lot of betrayal going on. Right a lot now. of betrayal, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. it starts with us. Yeah. You know, no one can make you betray yourself. I do think there are, without being as conspiracy theorists, there are people out there that see certain people as a lower human. Yeah, as maybe. a servant to yeah, yeah. their game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're cash yeah. cows for the food industry. Yeah. We are yeah. pawns in someone's profit line. Yeah, but only we can take back that power and say, yeah. you know what. I make choices around what I eat every time I walk down the shopping mm. aisle. I don't have to fuel someone's profit line mm. with my shopping basket. Mm. I could just buy what Mother Nature grew, mm. feed myself incredibly well, and keep the money in my pocket and the power in my belly. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing, you know, I have a friend who talks about wealth quite a lot, and he said, you know, one of the keys to wealth is is not trying to make more money, is saving it's reducing your spend. Mm-hmm. That can be even more powerful than mm-hmm. trying to earn money because mm-hmm. earning more money sometimes takes more effort, more time, mm-hmm. more time away from home, more mm-hmm. time in the office mm-hmm. to get more money and working long hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas when you could just say, well, I could grow mm-hmm. 80% of my own mm-hmm. veg. Yeah. Um, I could shop at the local farmers, mm-hmm. butchers for my meat and have mm-hmm. a big chest freezer where I keep mm-hmm. everything. Or we'll work with a local hunter I'll and just have wild meat. Exactly. And um, time so, is the new wealth. Time is the new wealth. And Freedom like I see wealth. with you, you can mm-hmm. rustle up. Like I've been having great food, mm-hmm. venison, right? Mm-hmm. I love venison and lots of avocados and mm-hmm. fresh stuff. Mm-hmm. And we still have a bit of bread. I like a bit of sourdough bread and whatever. But if you think about it, like you cooked the stew last night mm. and what bet we're not quite in spring. We are, no, yeah, Getting you know, mm. alchemically, mm. but the, the temperature is still mm. very mm-hmm. damp and cold. So to have a hot stew mm-hmm. is kind of what your ancestors would do mm-hmm. as the advanced, mm-hmm. their cooking methods. Mm-hmm. Yet it's simple. I mean, if we think about it, really, the modern Northern European is probably 40,000 years yeah, exactly. old. Mm. The diet we're eating is 80 exactly. years old. Exactly. And our body's like, yeah. what, what the hell? The fuck? Exactly. Like, there, we have a situation mm-hmm. in China right now with these, what they call emperor children. Mm-hmm. And these kids are just big, fat mm-hmm. lumps of. Yeah. Of and our metabolisms don't know what to do with it. You know, we've we, we've developed culturally incredibly quickly, mm. but biologically we haven't. No. We're still biologically the same as we were, as we were. hundreds and yeah. hundreds of thousands of years ago. There's a very funny podcast. I can't, I can't think it was a famous podcaster said that he was speaking to a client and he said, like, he's in New York City mm. and this guy, like, does very similar kind of mm. approaches, hunting, eating, gathering, mm. working with his body. And he said he's in New York and he sees this big New York cop eating mm. donuts walking down the street and he said would you ever see that kind of human in the wild yeah never exactly never so I what is it seeing... doing what is it doing yeah. here like yeah that? how is it even good it wouldn't survive yeah. you wouldn't survive in the wild no, being that shape no exactly you're gone 
I remember seeing the most beautiful photograph, uh, Eric Edmunds, who's the founder of Wildfit. Mm. I mean, he was actually born in in South Africa and he spent a lot of his childhood there. Legend. Yeah. Go the South Africans. And um, has spent a lot of time with the Hoods of Tribe uh, Mm. as part of his kind of study in terms of what is anthropological Mm. nutrition about. But there's this beautiful photograph of uh, a a long line of Hoodsa hunter Mm. men but what's so striking is they, I mean, like they're fit, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. eye-wateringly fit, yeah. but their physique is identical. Yes. Every single one of them, you can see the muscle tone. Yeah. They are just brimming with vitality, yeah. but their body shape was uniform. Yeah. Because that is same the diet. shape same of diet. a human body. Well, same if diet. it's not interfered with. Yeah. 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 Same diet. Exactly. Um, I will try and dig out. There's a fantastic interview with this guy who followed them and managed to translate what they were saying. Yeah. And they said, like, they asked one of the tribe leaders, mm. like, what, what is life to you? What is mm. the meaning of life? And he said, uh, meat. Yeah. Well, what? Yeah. Yeah, meat is life. Yeah. What's the second most important thing to you? Oh, our dogs that come with us hunting Mm -hmm. they help us protect us and he was like expecting some massively deep profound Mm -hmm. it's like no Mm -hmm. for us meat is life we hunt Mm -hmm. we run and we hunt Mm -hmm. that's our life that's Mm -hmm. what we live for Mm -hmm. it's like wow imagine having such Mm -hmm. a simple approach Mm -hmm. and now we've got these excuse my language i can't swear it's my podcast (laughs) fucking lunatics who are making artificial meat oh. what the fuck are you doing oh my god and where is Horrifying. it coming from and who's making it and what is it made of Horrifying. recycled humans recycled mm. animals what is that about and we're now beginning to see genetic genetic mm-hmm. uh, deviation yeah. because of our yeah. diet yeah totally like massive deviation totally so if we do turn to little small green gray aliens <laughs> with black eyes, you've been warned, right? That's the way it's going. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get a hold of Freya, we will leave details below. Mm-hmm. She's in Dunmanway and she's also here in her cottage. The, mm-hmm. We call it sort of the hospital cottage. Mm-hmm. And if you want to learn more about Tween Art, you can contact me or Freya. And uh, if Wildfit, We'll leave some information there for Absolutely. them if they want to contact you. And Come and join the next challenge. Next challenge. And anything else you want to say to people? Well, actually, another thing to say, Wildfight isn't just for Irish people. So yeah. Freya has people internationally as well, mm-hmm. which can be a bit of a challenge it's, at yeah, times. There's a bit but, of an interesting time zone issue at the moment. Right. I've got a lady in Japan who's nine hours ahead of right. the rest of my group, and okay. we're constantly trying to find right. a, a suitable time to meet. So for international listeners of the podcast, whoever you are, mm-hmm. Don't be shy. Um, anything no, else you want I've to add? I've coached people in Canada, Germany, France, all right. over the UK, Japan, USA. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Yeah. As long as you've got an internet connection. That's it. That's all you need. Anything else you want to add? Just to say thank you to this absolutely incredible legend of yes. a man. We're having, as they say on Gavin and Stacey, having mm. a blast, sugar tits. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I've got the tits. <laughs> Um, is mighty i yeah. feel like i found a real brother in you and yeah. it's just that's awesome. it yeah good stuff yeah let's keep it rolling thanks for joining yeah. and uh take care of you.